So, uh, welcome to the first episode of the podcast that we don't have a name for yet. Uh, I'm Max. Um, I'm Sam. So yeah, uh, we're, this podcast is going to kind of focus on aviation central to North Dakota, Western Minnesota uh, for the time being. Um, we want to kind of gauge how things go. Um, we'll be talking about warbirds that are under restoration in the area, um, different air bases, perhaps uh, different aspects of aviation that take place in this region. Um, yeah, so. So yeah, we're going to cover just about anything. Um, we can do pilot interviews. Um, we're going to talk to local restorers. And just try to get an insight on you know local aircraft and what's so great about these airplanes on the planes. Sweet. So uh, let's get started. Um, I think to start off, I think we should do introductions about ourselves. So I'll let Sam go first. Uh, you want to talk? Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, uh, what is your favorite aircraft, and yeah, we can just kind of go from there. Yeah. Well, I'm Sam Kennedy. Um, I'm from Fargo, North Dakota, and I'm currently a student at the University of North Dakota in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Uh, majoring in commercial aviation and uh, currently working on my commercial pilot certificate. So just kind of working towards a career in, uh, in aviation, most likely through uh, air ambulance or cargo. Uh, so it's all up in the air right now, you know, with the time being. But I got into aviation uh, through my grandfather. He's a, he was a crop duster in Holly, Minnesota for about 40 years. He retired a couple years ago. But he had a he has a Piper Super Cub. I I basically grown up in that. My parents joke that I was born in the back seat, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've been flying ever since I can remember. And you know, just uh, helping him out out at the out at the airport in Holly with uh, with uh, loading the airplane with the chemicals and getting to just meet all these great people. And then I ended up. Uh, Working at or volunteering and working at the Fargo Air Museum in Fargo, North Dakota, and I spent a good uh, nine years there, and just met so many great people, so many warbird restorers. That's that's really how I took it, uh, a huge interest into warbirds was that place, and you know we'd go on trips to Oshkosh and meet all these great people, and we'd bring in airplanes from other places. We'd have commemorative air, commemorative Air Force and uh, other groups like that, and it just made it such an enjoyable experience. Uh, overall and I'm no longer there just uh, mostly because of being at college and it's good to check in in places like that and you know this is this podcast is going to be a great outlet to just discuss aviation and you know especially the warbird aviation so all right go ahead so uh, I'm Max Saban um, I'm currently a student at North Dakota State University in Fargo uh, I'm going to school for English and public history um my passion for aviation started at a really young age. Um, I grew up in the approach of Flying Cloud Airport in Eden Prairie, and every year they would have Air Expo. And I remember as a kid, I went to Air Expo 2004 with my father and younger brother, and seeing and hearing and you know smelling these aircraft, it was just life-changing for me. And as time went on, both of my grandfathers would tell me stories about some of their close friends or acquaintances that they knew that flew in the Second World War, and I heard their stories firsthand. So, um, unfortunately, I'm not really much of a pilot. I, <laughs> I cannot understand math to save my life, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I have a couple hours up with friends and whatnot. But, you know, it's a- aviation history is something that deserves to be told, um, especially military history, because you've had so much technology come from, like, fighter jets and these large aircraft 
And that's kind of my passion is hopefully once I'm finished with school, uh, I can go and work in an aviation museum and help kind of bridge the gap between the older generation of air museums where I'd say pre-technology, whereas like you didn't have your phone. So it's like, oh, let's go to the aviation museum and check it out. Whereas now it's like maybe a different aviation museum has a podcast similar to this or they're on social media and constantly updating and showing or involving interviews like what we want to do here um but yeah you know that's kind of my route that i've taken um i'd hope to one day be a or at least get my private pilot's license but yeah so uh what's our first talking point today well today we're gonna uh discuss just um probably some local aircraft and just cover some other events such as like uh local restorations going on we can delve into some some topics on that and uh, I was thinking we can also cover uh, some important events in aviation history that occurred around this time of year. Sweet. Well, uh, actually, I thought about this on the way here today. I was thinking kind of like a good intro question. Um, if you could fly either as, a, as the pilot or a passenger in any aircraft in history, whether there's still one left flying or if there's no more copies or there's no examples of it left, what would the aircraft be? That is a tough question because <laughs> I could, I, I'm thinking about 20 different airplanes right now, but, um, you know, just an airplane that, you know, it's, it's well known, uh, but a little overshadowed by its, uh, its contemporary, uh, the Hawker Hurricane is something I've always wanted to fly. It was such a, a marvel of its time, you know, uh, a monoplane with retractable gear and it's just the performance of the aircraft was unheard of back then. Mm. And you know, the Spitfire obviously overshadows it, but it was really the aircraft that saved Britain in my opinion. Uh, and just, it, it's such a, it has a crossroads of, you know, the monoplane to, from biplane technology, because originally the Hurricane, they were thinking about it being a biplane and, you know, it had fabric wings and a two blade propeller that was fixed pitch. And so you can, uh, optimize your performance as easily. So I would I would definitely go with the Hurricane. It's just had a had a great career during World War II. It was the workhorse of the RAF and and other uh, air forces. You know, the Yugoslavs use it. The Belgians not too much success because of the fall of or the Blitz in nineteen forty. But you just had this aircraft that was just so it's well known, but it was overshadowed and a little underestimated mm-hmm. in my opinion. But there are plenty flying around, and one day. If someone over in Britain is nice enough to let me, I, I would really love to fly one of those. So what about you? It's uh, funny you mentioned the Hawker Hurricane. My, uh, the one I was thinking of that came to mind was actually a good adversary of it during the Battle of Britain. That's the Junkers Ju-88. Ah. I love those like dual-engine like fighter bombers, especially when you see the Ju-88's usage later in the war, like intercepting Allied bomber formations, especially the night fighter variants. They've always attracted me. So I'd, I'd always say either the Heinkel HE-111 or the JU-88. And as you said, your Hawker Hurricane would have probably shot those right out of the sky. But I, I'm always, like, that German aviation, I know a lot of people are into that these days. But that's something, I, I grew up watching Battle of Britain with my grandfather. And I always thought that those crews were very brave, especially the bubble canopy. Yes. I was joking, like, if you want to kill your... Uh, air crew in one pass uh, all you need is a bubble canopy so yeah that would probably be mine and then obviously there are some 
uh, Cold War, early Cold War era jets that I just find absolutely fascinating, but are pretty unsafe when you look at it. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, they got, uh, like, those German aircraft, you know, they, a lot of their aircraft had just all-around glass mm-hmm. excellent visibility yeah, yeah it'd be perfect for nowadays if yeah. you're talking about a non-combat <laughs> situation you know you have yeah like you said the at 111 and the, and the ju-88 and you also have you know like the w-189 mm-hmm. you know the the scout aircraft and that was there's some interesting aircraft and for sure surely marvels of their time so um and speaking of uh, dangerous cold war aircraft what do you think of the uh the thunder screech the thunder oh let's see the loudest is that aircraft. what? What's the design? Is that the F RF eighty four F eighty four H? I believe. Yeah, those. Yeah. It was loud. Um, unfortunately, we're both both early twenties, so we are way past their time in the air. But that kind of falls into that like F eighty nine, F eighty four, F ninety four. Those that era of jets that I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they have one actually on display pretty close to us. Um, I think it's the K version. The swept wing, not the uh, straight wing, but I like them. I, th- I think they're they're like the quintessential '50s jets that you would exactly. see in you know old like King Kong or '50s horror movies. But yeah, it was such a good. The F eighty four was such a good platform to base modifications off. Mm-hmm. You had the Thunder Streak, you know, the swept wings. You have the Thunder Flash, you know, the the reconnaissance variant, and then yeah, like I said, the Thunder Screech with the turbine. Mm-hmm. on it it's just you could hear it from miles away obviously so. that's one of those jets that I think got overshadowed by its saber either yeah. I think it came after it yeah but like when you look at it it went through so many different iterations that eventually led to the saber right. and I, like it was a fighter bomber interceptor reconnaissance aircraft it went through so many different iterations but it's always pretty much overshadowed from the saber and if you <laughs> ask anybody if they know much about Cold War aviation at all it's like what, what aircraft do you know they'll just say a MiG and they're not going to specify it mm-hmm. you know, MiG 15 or whatever and then they think of a saber and probably an F4 maybe, <laughs> maybe F, later on F14 because mm-hmm. Tom Cruise yeah but, <laughs> um, but yeah you know just the time period between I, I really like the golden age all the way through about mid Cold War Mm-hmm. Just the technology is you see the greatest leaps you know and like you were saying earlier uh, war though it is a sad thing it really advanced technology as mm-hmm. a whole not just in aviation but you know let's say we I'm not saying World War Two or anything was a great thing to happen it, it but it saw us just these amazing leaps just think about how far back we yeah. would be in technology we probably wouldn't have these smartphones right next to us we wouldn't and we can owe a lot of it to these engineers that mm. provided these amazing machines that mm. you know you saw racing the skies over yeah. the last 50 to 60 and years including like medical providing or like medical procedures you had I believe penicillin mm. IVs these came about because of the war so we're not saying that was good but it definitely helped propel right our, our you know technology alright what's uh what's up next so let's Speaking of medical stuff, maybe we can jump into a little bit on, um, you know, air ambulances. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I will say before we get started, I'm not all that well versed. I know like Sanford has um, like their helicopters that they use to get to like more rural areas within North mm-hmm. Dakota. Um, but yeah, let's, let's do it. Yeah. So, you know, it all started, you know, basically as soon as aircraft were around, they were used for, mm-hmm. you know, medical transport in World War One. There were, there were some instances of you of hearing about that. And you go all the way, jump forward to like Korea, 
you got the the H13s. Yeah. You know, if, you, if anybody out there, I bet a lot of people listening to this are like, yeah, my dad watched Mash, or maybe <laughs> I grew up watching Mash. I mean, yeah, I watched it with my dad, and all of a sudden you see in the intro the H13 coming in, and we had one at the when I volunteered at the Air Museum, we had one for a couple of years, and everybody's like, everybody would come on the when I'd give people a tour, they'd be the stretchers outside the helicopter well well the bubble the it's a bubble canopy and it's it's only going to fit two people sitting up so you're not going to be out there they, they strap you out onto these <laughs> two bars coming outwards from uh from the helicopter itself and you're just strapped there and it's like i, I know i couldn't you know obviously i'd want to get out of whatever situation i would be if or anybody would probably want to get out of that situation but i I, I don't know. It'd be a pretty scary ride. So we were talking about aircraft I'd like to fly in. I would not want to be <laughs> injured on an H-13. But obviously things have advanced from there. You know, like you were saying, Sanford, they have the Eurocopters. They, it's one of the most slick operations I've ever seen. Or talked to, like I've talked to the crews there. I have a, a guy I know really well who flies the King Airs for them. And that's something I, I'm very interested in doing in the future. And they, you know, go to all these far-flung places around the around the states and transport people, and it's just such a good thing. And you know, the advancement of aviation uh, in the air ambulance world is is really important to these uh, these patients and getting them care that you know used to not be accessible. You'd have to wait for an ambulance to come by, or you know, what if you'd have to come on foot sometimes yeah. just because of the terrain is so impassable in between, you know, the highway or wherever you are. I mean. Yeah, you think about if there was an accident on the farm like 50 or 60 years ago, it, more than more likely than not, it would usually end in tragedy because they couldn't get to like a, a good place for medical care. Mm-hmm. And with, you know, you have these helicopters now that can pick someone up within a matter of minutes, whereas exactly it was hours. So there's definitely a need for, for this uh, type of industry and... Um, it has got it has grown quite a bit, and now they have uh, Cessna Citations coming in. Like there's this company that um, they're called Riva. They they come in and into our career fair we do every year at UN, We do twice a year at UND, and uh, you know they fly to in, through the Caribbean. I mean, they fly these patients in multi million dollar private jets, and and you're getting all sorts of walks walks of life coming into these aircraft, and you know. It, it's got to be very interesting to do just to see the variety of, of cases you can see you know people are you know you got these really brave and intelligent people in the back there trying to um, just save a life or, or just make the person comfortable it's just amazing what they can do in such a small space so so yeah their ambulances are really interesting and you know they're just, they're they're a, it, very important part of society. So. Absolutely. So yeah, what would you like to cover next? Hmm, that is a good question. I'm trying to think, because you know, as we mentioned earlier, this is our first episode, so we're trying to you know come up with an outline of what we really want to cover. Um, I don't know how many people are going to actually listen to this first part, but you know, we'll find a way to hear feedback from you guys. Whether that's through email or if you're a close friend, you can probably just text one of us. Um, I know a segment that we did want to cover was aircraft that are on display pretty locally. Um, while we do have museums in mind, we were thinking more so of gate guards, um, whether that's at like a big Air Force base or at a local airport. 
Um, the first one that came to our mind was there's an F4 out in Castleton, North Dakota. Um, let me uh, pull up some information I have on it real quick. Um, we kind of wanted to save this segment for um, like kind of a closing segment, uh, but I feel like we have so much to. There's so much we could talk about with exactly. this episode. Exactly. Gone forever. Yeah. So we're just kind of you know testing the waters. Um, so let me pull that information up. So uh, yeah, it's an F4C um, serial number uh, 6374.17. Um, from the research that I was able to pull up, it uh, actually flew in combat in Southeast Asia, and then afterwards flew with the Arkansas Air National Guard. Um, let's see here. Uh, you know, she's at, like I know uh, before this winter, uh, she was painted with two MIG kill stars mm-hmm. on one of the intakes. And I was like, okay, there's no way that a MIG killer is just on display. And uh, I couldn't find anything relating to that. So I was like, okay, obviously it's not a MIG killer. But one of the more interesting things I found was on aerialvisuals.org. If I remember, I, might, I, don't, want to, I don't want to get it right. Uh, aerialvisuals.ca. Um, the former crew chief of it uh, said that it was one of the finest aircraft he's ever worked on. It actually won a couple of trophies. Uh, during the Air National Guard weapons competitions for how well it was maintained. So I thought, oh, that's very interesting that such a, well, well, I'm just glad to see it preserved. Let's just say that. Um, But yeah, uh, I think if I can pull up the specific history, I I don't know exactly what fighter unit flew with in Vietnam. but, you know, F4C, it's one of the earliest ones that was delivered to combat or to Southeast Asia for combat over there. Okay. And uh, so the cool thing about all these, you know, gate guards or just aircraft that are on public display just out in the middle of nowhere, like I'm not saying Castleton's way out in the sticks <laughs> for if anybody's from, from Castleton. Uh, but it's just cool because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a little museum you can walk right up to and bring your kids or whatever. And... It's not too far out of Fargo, so it's probably one of the bigger area or places in our area. It's about 20, minute, 20 minutes west on I-94. And uh, yeah, it's just an, an unique part of history. Like When I was first starting to get my license, I was based out of West Fargo's airport, um, just off of County 17 there. And uh, when we first started flying, I would practice landings, and we would want to pick up pick an airport where the runway was favorable to the winds because some uh Castleton's runway goes from remember right northwest to southeast and uh the one in West Fargo go just straight north south so we'd go over to Castleton if we had crosswinds in West Fargo so we'd you know make it a little easier on me when I first started and you know I knew about this this F4 I've known about it for years and uh I got so distracted on uh, actually on <laughs> on my approach into Castleton. I just kept looking at it outside the window, and my instructor's like, "Oh, are you gonna, you know, focus on the landing here?" And I was like, "Sorry." <laughs> so, so yeah, it was pretty. It's a funny story, um, and uh, you know, I've seen it for so many years. I they used to do flyings in Castleton quite mm-hmm. a bit. They had one. I, I don't rem- remember too much about it. I was very young. I think I was like six or seven. But I remember seeing uh, Race 57, the Super Corsair, 
just there nonchalantly just, just sitting on the yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, the manager of that airport Robert Miller he was a Northwest captain he flew 757s and I believe he also flew uh, he was in Vietnam he flew I believe Caribou oh wow so wow. see I think 123 yeah I believe so yeah yeah to the, I know it was a caribou, not a provider. So I know the providers are pretty that famous. Did a lot of the uh, um, chemical spraying over there. Yeah, that's the C one twenty three is the provider. Is it C one twenty one? Oh, I think that's a Samaritan. That's a constellation. Constellation. Yeah, we'll find it out. Well, for yeah, it. But, <laughs> Let me, uh, but yeah, he flew providers over there. So he has always some interesting stories. He, he was a board member at the Air Museum, um, and. Uh, he actually has, uh, it's kind of neat, a full-scale replica of a, of a 109. Just a piece of, it's a wooden one, but it's kind of just interesting, you know. You know, when I was young, I was like, oh, it's a real Messerschmitt 109. And, was, <laughs> and then I went up to it, and then well, my buddy, he, he used to volunteer at the museum with me. He was like, yeah, I found out a couple years ago, that, or I found out back then, too, that it was made of wood, because he tried turning the propeller, and it the the wooden propeller just kind of fell out of the socket. <laughs> so he got in a little trouble, but that's how he met Bob Miller. And, um, you know, it's just all these, all these warbirds and, you know, just these Cold War era aircraft are just really cool to see. You know, I, I fly around all these airports around North Dakota just with my training. And, you know, sometimes I'll pretend that, you know, I got to go to the bathroom and take a quick stop. So, but then I'll just go over and sneak a picture of the airplane. I won't be, you know, just because... It's just so interesting to see like I remember flying to Castleton on a separate time in the same plane I was flying and I I went and stopped there and just checked out the, the F4 for you know like 15 20 minutes just digging around in it and I was like wow it's pretty cool and you know it's it's a little beat up yeah it is yeah. so it would be really cool to just see it you know get a fresh paint job mm-hmm. you know maybe even put it uh, into a more historically historically accurate aircraft I agree. or maybe even I know it's a stretch, but like the Arkansas Air National yeah, Guard, you know, something. I, I, uh, I reached out. There's a restoration company based out of Florida that um, they do, uh, you know, for, for a price. They'll come out mm-hmm. and they'll restore, you know, different aircraft. I think they worked on some of the gate guards at Grand Forks in the past. And then uh, the T-33 in Fidley. Or Fridley? Finley. Yeah. Finley. Finley, yeah. yeah. And I uh, got a hold of them on Facebook and I was like, hey, uh... Hypothetically speaking, if a restoration of an F, like how much would a F four restoration cost? And he said oh, about twenty thousand. I was like, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, bad we're not made of money. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, once this podcast really takes off, then we'll be able to afford it. But oh, that'd be nice. <laughs> uh, it's funny you mentioned. Well, funny stories about the F four. When I was a, a senior in high school, uh, I was up in Fargo for a tour. I was gonna. Well, my sister was up here for a hockey tournament, but I also was gonna tour NDSU for the first time. And I remember I was sitting in the hotel room, and this was early January 2015. And as probably most of the listeners know, North Dakota is very snowy and cold in the winter time. Yep. So <laughs> I was sitting in the hotel, bored out of my mind. I was thinking, what can I do, or like, what is there to see in North Dakota? Because if I'm gonna go to school here, I want to make sure that there's like stuff to do. And I, I searched up aviation museums. I searched up, like, you know, military music. Because that's what I was into. And I, I still am. But I was like, what can I, like, what can I go out and see? 
And when I searched up aviation, military aviation, obviously the Air National Guard base came up, uh, Minot and Grand Forks, but in, there was an image of this camouflaged F-4. It's like, oh my gosh, I have got to find that. And I spent a lot more time than I cared to admit scouring Google Earth on my phone trying to find this F-4 at the airport. And I was like, it says it's near Fargo or near Hector. So I'm like, it has got to be there. And I couldn't find anything. And then I, I eventually gave up. But I remember I was driving to a friend's farm out near Durban, North Dakota. <laughs> and he was like, he knew that I was big into aviation. He was like, hey, you want to go check out, there's an old fighter jet. And he, he's not a big aviation guy. So he just, you know, it's a fighter jet to him. It's like, oh yeah, sure. Do you know what it is? He's like, not a clue. So we drove by and when we uh, got off the exit and started heading towards it's like, oh, that's that's it. That's the one I've been looking for. So, I, I mean, it took me three, four years to finally find it. But <laughs> I was able to get up close to her, and like Sam was saying, she's, she's a little beat up, but the history behind her definitely deserves to be told. And I am hoping that one day we can get her fixed up to whether to the scheme that she wore either in Southeast Asia, the Arkansas National Guard, or if, even if it's a stretch, and I know some of you aviation history buffs might scowl at this, but maybe have her marked up as a hooligan from when they uh, were still in the Southeast Asia scheme. Yeah. I know there's a few of those images that are out there, but that'd be, you know, just give her a new fresh coat of paint. Like, get, breathe some life back into her. I know a lot of those gate guards kind of go, um, kind of disintegrate or deteriorate when they sit there, but... Yeah, and that's, that's a reality, unfortunately, just, you know, you know, I know we need the sun to survive, but it, it <laughs> you know, oxidizes the paint, and, uh, yeah, they, they need upkeep, and, uh, you know, there's, it's just interesting, you know, just in these small towns just around North Dakota, I know, being from where, you know, you're down near the cities, and mm-hmm. every, the, everything's a small town out here, but, <laughs> but, you know, just, you just drive along, and you run into one, and, and, you know. You know, you were mentioning to me a while back about uh, out in Hedinger. Yeah. That's just way out on the boondocks. And, you know, and just, it's interesting, you know, about all these gate guards and, you know, just think about how many are all over the country. You know, mm-hmm. Well, you think about, there. like, when they would have been placed on display, especially you see these T-33s. I know, um, oh, what? I'll, I'll, and the name will literally come to me. But there was a T-33 on display that's in the markings of, like, the test command, mm. and it said 1969. And I thought, well, the T-33 was developed in the late 40s, early 50s, um, and it was flying up until the 80s as a trainer with the right. Air Force. It's like, okay, so what made this one go on display pretty relatively er- when you look at the history of it, r- relatively early in its career? And it's like, I think it's a 51, so there might have been a crack in one of the... You know, wings or something. Yeah, like and you know they just have protocol to fly exactly, it until they yeah. get they get tired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially if it, because like I said, it came from the test command. So yeah, it definitely probably has it's more than its fair hours yeah. of being in the air. But yeah, and then you know, then you have some that are like combat veterans or you know they like MIG killers. I know usually the MIG killers are probably a little bit more well kept than yeah some usually of the standard ones. But. Fancy AC and mm-hmm. nice buildings. <laughs> But yeah, and then uh, what was the website called again? You can just Aerial visuals. Yeah. Uh, ca. 
so if you're in, if you guys are into that, you know, you viewers, um, or listeners, I should say, but that's definitely something uh, I'd recommend checking out. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's my main database that I use. It has a collection of almost, I mean, every documented aircraft that I mean that is accessible. Um, it like gives you the exact coordinates, um, like a relatively simple history of like whatever is written down about it. I would say. Um, but yeah, it's a great resource, especially if you're looking like on a road trip. I know every time I drive somewhere, I always go on aerial visuals to see what I'm going to go by. Um, if there's something that, well, I was going to say if I need to stop, but if there is something, if there's any military aircraft, I usually always will stop. Um, I know that when I was going down to South Dakota for the uh, NDSU, SDSU college game day, uh, me and a friend stopped in... I can't remember. The, there's, I guess, it's small town. So small town, South Dakota. They had a, a Corsair two or a Navy. Uh, you know, canopy was not cleared up, or it was cleared up. So it's like you could. There was a you know fence around it, so you couldn't get right up next to it. Mm-hmm. But it, it was a beautiful display. Looked like it had just landed there, maybe a month or two before. So, wow, that's really neat. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think about like? And we throw up a social media page for these people, you know, mm-hmm. just I mean, throw, throw Instagram up there and maybe, um, maybe we can provide a list of just these oh, places for, sure. for people to go. I mean, how many, how many are, do you know exactly how many are like in North Dakota, for Ooh, example? Or? Uh, let me see. Cause what's nice about this locator is that you can, uh, I'll show you if you're not familiar with it, you can type in the continent, country, region, city, site name. So you can get right down to the, like I said, the exact word. So we'll put in. North Dakota. And then it'll pop up with an entire list of, well, like, if it has the green bar, it means you can walk right up next. Okay. And then it has the map of each individual location. So we'll click on a random one. That's the UH-1. I don't think that, like, there are some, especially in North Dakota, that have not been documented. And that's kind of, like, what I like to do with this podcast is get out there and see, but let's see if anyone's been to this. It's a UH-1, Iroquois, or the Huey. Yep, no one's been out there. So yeah. that's on the list of places to go. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah. They, yeah, you just, it's nice that they throw up that satellite image there, and then mm-hmm. so, so you kind of know what's around there. Yeah, exactly. And then we'll click on the Cassatin F4 that we were just talking about. There and it is. Then, yeah, right there. And then you can... See, so here's the comments from crew chief, yeah, and then has all these images, some of them provided by yours truly, but, <laughs> but yeah, and then you can see like the history of like how she used to look compared to how she looked last year or coming up on two years, sort of, but as you can see, the elements have pretty much taken her toll. Yes, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a great resource, and for anyone that's into aviation history, I highly recommend using it. It's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. It's just, uh, I, I do that now too. I mean, when you and me started getting to know each other, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, maybe I should just do that. You know, I went I went out to Devil's Lake earlier in the summer and I was mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go stop and look at the state, or the, the voodoo and then snapped a couple of pictures of it. And, <laughs> you know, I just sat there at the airport, got distracted and started watching airplanes land. And um, yeah, it's just a nice little tool. I mean keeps up really good databases it looks like yeah for sure it's very it's you know free use service it's just a bunch of people that enjoy aviation history and like to document it and tell other people about it 
Um, and then making an account is very easy. Like I said, it's free. Just email, create a username, boom, you're done. And when you uh, actually make an account, you have access to the map. So you can know okay. exactly where each one is. I think every time I've um, used it signed out, because sometimes it's a pain to sign in on your phone, mm. it'll like tell you, like you can still pull up the exact location, but it will not show that big map at the bottom. But the map is huge. Okay. Like that, that helps out a lot. So yeah, um, let's see. Uh, we covered air ambulances, a little bit about ourselves. Um, gate guards or... Uh, Planes on sticks, as we yep. like to call. <laughs> um, is there anything else that you want to keep talking about? Um, well, what I was thinking about introducing as a just kind of in every just a, a segment for every podcast was introducing an event uh, in history on the day we uh, record this podcast. So today yeah, yeah, is yeah. August sixteenth. So looking back in time, I just kind of looked up, you know, searching around the internet to see what's what's interesting about this day in aviation history. So I found one about um, you know, an aircraft you really like. Uh, mm-hmm. The um, this day in 1948, the F-89 Scorpion uh, oh, commits its first flight. So you know, we have one in Fargo on display. Mm-hmm. You know, a big uh, you know big part of uh, North Dakota North North Dakota Air National Guard history, and. Uh, it's such a such a, an amazing aircraft, you know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of got the I'd, older, older. I like to think it's a very underrated early Cold War interceptor. I know there were two or several different variants, um, mm-hmm. but I know the early ones it had kind of like the very sharp nose. Yes, and then I believe later version. Uh, I'm thinking of F ninety four that could actually fire air to air, not guided missiles, but just dumb rockets right. like from the nose. Which uh, that's the F ninety four. We're getting off topic here, but. Yeah. The F-89, I think it had him in the side pods. Yeah, it had side pods mm-hmm. there um, out, out on the wingtip. Uh, but yeah, it was just such an amazing aircraft, and it really shows that early Cold War yeah. element oh, of yeah. the straight wing. You know. Straight wing, you have the, the pilot in the front and the uh, navigator or the weapons system operator in the back. Yep. And then, I know there's a specific name for it. Let yeah. me uh, pull up some information. It's just got that really old, you know... Still bridging the gap, kind of like what I was talking about the hurricane really early on in this podcast about how it was bridging the gap between, you know, reg wing and biplanes to the mono, all metal monoplane, monoplane, and then we have, this is kind of a similar element, you know, a lot of designers didn't really trust the transition to a swept wing, and, you know, sure you always have sweep to an, an aircraft wing, but, you know, you didn't see that too much on on the F-89, it had such a large wing area, you know, just the cord line of the wing was long. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, uh, you know, you're getting that because, you know, jet engines were still in there. Yeah, early, early 1948, yeah. you know, you had, I'm sure you had jets, even pre-World War Two. you know, you had like the 262 and you have the P-59 and the, uh, the Meteors, but, you know, all those aircraft were relatively underpowered. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Scorpion was no exception. And that's one of the main reasons for that super large wing that makes it really stand out. Yeah. So, uh, I have a little history actually on the uh, F eighty nine that's on display. Um, the original uh, serial number was fifty three two four six five, but it's actually marked as fifty three twenty six oh four. And just uh, looking, giving a qu- 
quick glance at this post. Um, it was uh, constructed as a D variant in 1953, if I remember correctly. Yep, 53, and then was later upgraded to the J. So it was able to use the, uh, I believe, AIM, or, no, MB-1 or Air-2 Genie air-to-air nuclear missiles. And what's really actually interesting about the F-89 on display is they have one mounted underneath one of the wings. Okay. So obviously it's not in commission anymore, but yeah. having one on display shows that the the North Dakota Air National Guard's mission, if it was required, was to use those against Soviet bomber formations. Yeah, so, yeah. that's really interesting. You know, I mean, I'm not super well kept on all the, the aircraft on sticks or the kebab flyers or whatever <laughs> you want to call them. But, you know, it's just, I've never really heard of scorpions being out and about like that. You, know, mm-hmm. you don't see many of them. No, it's, uh, I'd say, pretty a, a rare aircraft to see on display. Um, they're very big. I know we before we started uh, recording, we were talking about aircraft that are bigger than you think. Mm-hmm. And you get up close with the F-89, and it's huge. It is absolutely huge. Um, yeah, they just... I always... They remind me of kind of Snoopy, if that makes sense. Just looking at it. Just got a big old oh, nose. Yeah, big, big <laughs> but no, they're... Uh, like, like we talked about, just one of those really underrated early interceptors that I just find fascinating. Yeah, definitely. And then uh, just going off the serial numbers, um, yeah, the first two numbers always signify, mm-hmm. um, just for you viewers, uh, signify the year that it was uh, manufactured. So you'll see, you know, Mustangs out there with 44, 45, mm-hmm. 43 on the older or the earlier variants. But uh, just a good thing to just take note of uh, when you're looking at those warbirds. But... Um, yeah, and speaking of other aircraft, they're just massive up close, but, you know, don't look too big. I mean, the, the Avenger, Grumman oh, Avenger. Oh, yeah. Um, just a massive aircraft. Uh, there's one currently on display at the museum. Uh, and, you know, most people look at a picture of it, you know, oh, it's just single engine. It can't be too big. <laughs> it, it is massive. You know, you can walk, like, you know, a, a person could walk under most of the wing, just... No problems. Whereas you got a P fifty one, and you're you're above mm-hmm. an average height person is above the uh, the height of the wing from the ground, and you know I've had the opportunity to park a park a Mustang Mustang next to uh, park park it next to the Avenger there in the museum, just on display. You know we tug them and put a, we we used to put all the war warbirds together in one hangar, and we'd have a civilian hangar. That's how it used to be laid up, and we we always found it funny just because people would be like holy cow that thing is huge and then you go next to a Mustang everybody knows what a Mustang is you know and they're just like wow I didn't know how small it was so so yeah it's just one airplane that really is kind of an illusion in pictures Mm -hmm. so absolutely yeah so yeah I suppose um, uh, this will probably conclude our first podcast running about 40 minutes almost already wow sweet um, that's longer than I thought it was yeah, so the plan is probably to do these weekly if we can. Um, you know, we're going to upload it to, uh, maybe we'll probably upload it to a couple different podcast mm-hmm. outlets just to make it easier for yeah, viewership. I think and, in iTunes or CastBox, if anyone's familiar with that. Um, yeah. And plus, we have uh, social media presences that we can share it on. Yep. Um, we'll yeah. probably throw up a social media maybe for, for the whole podcast, yeah, sure. and I'd... that might help keep things in one place. But yeah, we'll uh, definitely throw our personals or our other pages up there that we do and uh, if you ever have things we'd like to cover if uh, you have any interesting stories we you're, you're more than welcome to message us about oh, that and please yeah 
So, so yeah, we'll um, probably touch base next week, and we'll we'll stick with segments like the. I kind of like the kebab flyers yeah. thing. I, I don't know. I'm gonna go with that from now on. Kebab we're gonna, flyers. I like. But that we're too. gonna we're gonna go with aircraft like that every week. We're gonna cover one from the area. You know, um, that'll be up to Max probably on that one. <laughs> he's he's got all, all really good resources. If uh, follow, we'll probably put his uh, Instagram uh, handle there for you guys to mm-hmm. uh, access, and that's just a really good page to learn all about these. Like I when you. I saw that at Ford Post a long time ago, and I was like, I didn't know anything about this airplane. And See, I, before we sign off, I, I just want to mention that I think we have kind of a good mix with this podcast, because you're currently actually working on getting your, I know you already have your pilot, pilot private pilot's license, I can never say that, but ha- having, yeah, it is, having someone that like knows the specifications, like has been behind the controls for how many hours are you at actually? I'm at about 180. So through the FAA, they typically to get your commercial license, they want 250 hours. But um, it's called a UND is a, called a Part 141 school. I won't delve into that too much. Maybe we'll we'll probably cover yeah, that as a topic. Sure. But basically, there's a way around you know getting that uh, 250 hours. I'm I, I can get it right now if I wanted to. Pretty much, I, I have a couple hours to scrape up and. Hopefully by uh, hopefully by the end of the month will be a commercial pilot and all of instrument ratings awesome. and things like that. So, so yeah, uh, yeah, it's definitely a good mix. I mean, you got really good on the, the military history side of mm-hmm. things, and you know, I've I've been immersed with um, a mix of both, and then you know, I've been a lot on the civilian side lately uh, with just uh, private GA aircraft, and that's kind of where I got all the start from, anyways. So I I have a lot of um, not to say knowledge, but just a lot of experience around these type of aircraft, you know, being at these small airports, uh, you know, just having conversations with all these pilots and just everyday people. So, so we'll definitely have a good mix, you know, we'll yeah. be covering things like egg aviation. We'll probably, once, you know, uh, the COVID, COVID just, <laughs> yeah. you know, goes away eventually. I mean, hopefully, you know, sooner than later we get the vaccine and all that, but you know, we'll be able to have these flying events. I mean, I know there's been a few that I'm, I'm going to try to hit some up and maybe we can cover things like that. Yeah, you know, for sure. Maybe do some on-site podcasts. Maybe we'll get into some, some video recording with that as well. I'm definitely thinking so. that once this blows over, the air show season, hopefully, knock on wood for next year, is going to be insane. Yes. I think that everything that's had been canceled so far... Everything that's been postponed, it's going to come back, and it's going to be greater than ever. I expect Oshkosh. Yes. It's you're going to want to be there. We it's like that's a lot better be... than this year. Oshkosh. Is <laughs> this year. But yeah, this is Oshkosh is huge. You know, you had Air Expo. Yeah. I was so excited because they had a W one ninety coming. Yeah, I was all this, excited. I was like, I'm packing my bags. This Air Expo was going to be insane, and seeing the cancellation was heartbreaking. But you yeah. know what? Next year. It's going to be yep. the best. It's going to be, be the best there's ever been. Yeah. So def- <laughs> we're going to definitely cover some of these great events over the time that we'll be having this podcast. And, you know, right now, yeah, things are a little slow. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll probably be dealing with a lot of more on the history side of it instead of current events. Just more. I mean, with UND flying, we just got, like, as a school, got approved to start training um, the last week of May. And it's just been a slow process getting everything back in the mix. And um, 
I mean, just elsewhere, you know, everybody knows about the air, airline industry with all the furloughs that are going on and will probably still continue to happen for a while. But just like with, uh, without having air shows and stuff, everything's going to recover. I mean, yeah, it's a matter of time. But, you know, just for all those pilots out there who are kind of like at my stage or even if you're more experienced than me and you're not, you got laid off from a job, is it? I know a lot of people know this, but it's going to get better. It's a cyclical um, industry, unfortunately. But, you know, everything will bounce back. We'll be able to go to air shows. People, the beer tents will be open at Oshkosh. And, <laughs> you know, there's going to be all this oh, stuff. And, can't wait. <laughs> you know, we're going to have a lot of, you know, even in the next few months here when things are still a little slow, we're still going to have some great content for yeah, you guys. And We are very excited to get this ball rolling. Yeah. I think it's going to be a great opportunity. And uh, the viewers here, you guys are really important, very the most important part of it. And if you have stories, you have you have an airplane you want us to check out or do anything like that, uh, we'd be more than happy to interview or you know discuss it on this show. And um, so we'll we'll have plenty of ways for you to contact us and continue that. So um, you got anything else to cover today? I think you summed it up very well. All right, so we'll. Uh, We'll wrap it up for this this time, right. uh, and we'll see you guys later. And uh, thanks for listening to the Plane Podcast with no name. <laughs> Plane Podcast with no name. There we go. See you guys later. <laughs> see ya.